So glad to have Brother and Sister Mullins here with us, and I want him to come once again. I want him just to take his liberty and preach to us tonight. Amen. We love you, Brother Mullins. Thank you for being here. Obey the Holy Ghost today. Thank you so much, Pastor Regan. So good to be back in the house of the Lord tonight. And um, so many, so many good things happening in God. Um, I want you to see for just a minute. I don't want to keep you standing. Um, sometimes I sit when they're singing because uh, I'll be standing while you're sitting. But uh, I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to do better. But I. Uh, is it okay to give a praise report, brother? Do you still do that around here? Go ahead, brother. I don't know how I forgot to give this. I got a phone call this afternoon. Brother Kelly Sampson, the pastor's in Neosho, Missouri, called me and he said, I just had to give you a praise report. He said, there was an 80-year-old Baptist preacher that came to my church this morning. He said, he told me he's got some nephews that, that are oneness, Jesus' name. He said, they sent him my books and he'd been studying my books. He went to Brother Samson's church this morning and said, I need somebody to baptize me in the name of Jesus. Now that's not the end. He came up out of the water talking in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Well, hallelujah. Thank God for the power of the Word. Thank God for the power of the Word. Amen. Amen. Sorry to interrupt you there, brother. No, no. You know, you know, Brother Regan, that right there, that would make a Presbyterian shout. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, back in January, my older brother was diagnosed with four-stage cancer, and when I called him, he didn't want me to come home to see him. He said, I don't know anything yet, and uh, don't come. And I said, well, last time I checked, I didn't even ask your permission to do anything. So I jumped on a plane. My wife was in the Philippines. She couldn't tell me I couldn't go, so I went anyhow. And uh, he, was, he was scared. He told me, he said, I'm absolutely terrified. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's good. You ought to be terrified because you're fixing to meet God if God don't heal you. So he's been back and forth with chemo and scat, uh, CAT scans and they're mapping tumors and all this stuff, how they do. So he, he had a, an assessment the other day, and he said that the, the guy that reads the, the CAT scan, he said he, he, he was astounded because all the tumors had shrunk. And he has one in his bowel. And he said that they wanted to do surgery. And I told him, I said, don't let them do surgery. Do another colonoscopy. Go up in there and look and see. See if it shrunk. So they did. And his oncologist said, I, I don't understand it. He said that she said there's, there's hardly anything to see. So he said, I'm in shock now. And I said, well, I'm not. 
I said, I told you, don't count God out of the picture. Hey, I don't know about you, but I still believe God heals cancer. I still believe he does. Amen. So God is, is doing great things. I told my brother, I said, I baptized a woman almost 40 years ago uh, in the Sheep River. Uh, it, brother, it was cold. That's all I can say. It's up in the mountains. And it was cold. And that crazy woman, she, could, she wouldn't get out of the water, brother. I finally had the bailout. I was freezing to death. She stood in there talking in tongues. Listen, here she is. She's still in church, still living for God, cancer-free. God can do it, church. Amen, amen. Anyhow, anyhow, let's praise your Lord. i got a lot of things running through my head. Uh, that's common, in case you don't know, with preachers. They get their little notebook out or whatever they're using, and they write things down when they're praying, and they don't want to miss anything, right? So, so here's some things that run through my head, you know, before time. Someone asked me, oh, my daughter, uh, my granddaughter asked me, said, are you nervous? I said, well, I wasn't until he asked me to preach again tonight. <laughs> and my son-in-law said, well, I said, I only got one message, and I done preached it already. He said, well, I got some I'll sell you. I have to leave it to him, right, you know? But, but you know, um, I was thinking about, uh, about when Satan fell in heaven. Uh, you know, we criticize people that, that fall from grace, I guess you could say. But the devil fell in the very presence of God in heaven. But you know what caused him to fall? He fell from a height that his depth would not support. Now, I want to I tell you this. If you fall, that's going to be why you fall. You go and learn what that means. Amen. Oh, my, my. And I, I want to leave this with you because it changed the way I look at things. Um, I heard a man say this not too long ago in a home church, he, uh, he said he prayed for years, God, please bless what I'm doing. And he said, I changed my prayer. I don't want God just to bless what I'm doing. I want to do what God is blessing. Now, there's a, there's a difference. Amen, amen. And, and I, I'm going to say this, and I don't know what he teaches, really. I don't. I haven't been here enough to know, but I think I know. So I'm going to say this for his benefit. He didn't ask me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Before I leave town to go anywhere, to do anything, I go and ask my pastor, Pastor, do you see any reason why my wife and I can't go and do such and such? If you do, I won't go. I asked him, I went in his office before I came down here this time, and I asked him, I said, Pastor, we'd like to go. Do you see any reason why we can't go? If you do, I won't go. He said, why do you keep asking me that? He said, in California, they don't do that. I said, well, you're not in California, and I'm not in California, and that's the way we've done it for 43 years. And he's astounded that someone would ask him if they could go out of town. Listen. That's the shepherd God put over you. 
Now, you might not think he's got a right to know where you are if you're a saint that goes to this church, but he does. It's in your best interest to tell him. What if you're in a car accident when you're out of town and he don't know where you are and don't know how to, how to get a hold of you? Brother, I just think it's a safety on my part. It's not required by my pastor, but I require it of myself. You go and learn what that means. Now I'm going to meddle a little bit. I'm going to meddle. You have to be passionate about whatever you do. Now look, let me help you. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to hurt you. I want to help you. But you have to be passionate about what you do. You can't just be passionate when you've got the microphone in your hand or when you're on the platform when you can be seen. You've got to be passionate about what you do no matter where you're at. If you're doing something in the kingdom, you've got to be passionate about what you do. You've got to believe in what you're doing. I said I'm going to meddle a little bit, so, so here it goes. I noticed that, that some are only, they only crank the volume up. They only kind of get a little excited, Brother Riggin, when you do. You know what that tells me? That tells me how deep you really are. If you're passionate, it doesn't matter if he's here or if he's here and he's not feeling well, if he decides I'm not going to raise my voice. You're going to be passionate about what you do because it's in you. It's not just in him. Okay, okay. I'll quit meddling. I'll qu Let's stand. I'll read a scripture. Uh, I'll, I'll get back on track here. Okay. I told Sister Regan I don't have any manna. I just got a little corn tonight. So we'll read a verse in Nehemiah. And I'll let you be seated. Nehemiah chapter 8. And while you're turning there, let me say it's, I don't, I don't count uh, this lightly to stand behind this, pa this pulpit uh, and uh, try and preach for this good, good man of God. I, I count it a privilege. Uh, Brother Riggin, thank you for trusting me enough to stand here. In Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for that purpose. And he had all of these guys standing on the right hand and on the left. You say, how come you don't read them? Well, you'd probably do as good as I would pronouncing them big words. So uh, suffice it to say, Ezra standing on a pulpit. There is one more allusion to this, and it's where Solomon stood on a scaffold. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. And uh, Here it is, 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 13 said, For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold, five cubits long, five cubits broad, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court, and upon it he stood, and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven and he began to pray. I want to preach to you for a little while about the pulpit. All right? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. We ask God you'd talk to us again tonight. Somehow, God, help me get across the importance, God, of this pulpit to this people. In Jesus' precious name.
Amen, amen, amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. So, the importance of this pulpit. Now, I don't know if whoever built this pulpit had any symbolism in mind, but as I look at this pulpit when I come in here, I see five columns. To me, that looks like the first five books of the Bible. And then I see one, two, three, four spaces between them. That looks like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So in my mind, I don't know who built this pulpit, but maybe he had that in mind. Maybe he wanted to represent the Word of God. So he's got five books of the Bible that the Jews would read. He's got the first four books, what we call the New Testament represented here. Uh, I think I could jump up and stand on this pulpit. So there's a lot goes on with this pulpit that we don't ever stop to think about. But I want to preach to you for a little while, if I can, about what, what a pulpit is and what it represents. First of all, there were no pulpits in any church before the third century. From what I can understand and read, the idea of a pulpit came from a sailing ship. And um, coming from the East Coast, uh, I know that the pulpit on a ship is very important. Every sailing ship has a pulpit, believe it or not. And what it is, it's the railing that goes around the outside of the deck of the ship. And they call it a pulpit rail. And it was uh, there for a few purposes, three of which I'll mention. Number one, it kept the people on the ship from falling off during a storm or rough weather. That's always handy when you've got something to hang on to. Number two, uh, someone would go to the bow of the ship and stand by the pulpit rail and they let a rope over the side that had a knot every six feet or one fathom and they'd sound the depth of the water in an unknown harbor so they wouldn't run aground. Uh, it's always handy uh, for the captain to know how deep the water his vessel is in. And number three not by any means the last use, but it was also used to, to secure the anchor of the ship. Now, let's just take a moment and apply this. If you don't have a pulpit in your life, when times of storm come, you have nothing to hang on to. But oh, Pastor Riggin, every preacher's hope is the time he spends teaching and preaching behind this pulpit somehow gives his people something to hang on to when life gets rough and living gets tough. Oh, come on. If you have never been in that place, you hang on, ma'am. You hang on, sir. Your time is coming and you're going to wish to God. You're going to hope to God you can find a place like a pulpit to hang on to. need to know how, how deep the water is. Well, why would that be? Because you can run aground on the rocks and take the bottom out of the boat. What keeps people in church? It's just good old-fashioned preaching from the pulpit. Brother Reagan, I can look back on messages that my pastor preached 30, 40 years ago. And, and, and today they're still as real as they were when he preached them. I remember one, one Sunday morning he had a jerry can. 
you know, with the, they, they'd pump it and they'd just put fires out. He brought that to church. And he preached about Pentecostal firefighters. Brother, and he hosed the whole congregation down for us all over with. I didn't want to be no wet blanket, I know that much. You, you, you got to have some something to sound the depth where you're sailing. Oh, I could, I could talk to you about heaven and anchor. Uh, listen, we, we, we've got an anchor, the Bible said. It's hope, hope. Uh, listen, you've you got to have something that you can secure this ship to. They dropped those old anchors over the side in stormy weather, and that's what helped settle the ship and kept it from rocking to and fro. Now, I don't know. I've never been seasick. But they tell me there's nothing like it. So how, 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 how rough's it been, brother? I've been out in 25-foot seas. I remember sitting at the dock on this old round-bottom ship and watching the waves come over a breaker about a quarter mile out. And he'd hit the side of that, that ship and come over the bow, sitting at that dock. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so fun. And looking over at my wife, and she was green as a gourd. We hadn't even left the dock yet. 45 minutes getting away from the dock, and a, a usually like a 45-minute run, I think, was about two hours. I've been out on Lake Superior. They say that waves can get high out there. I was out one night fishing in this little old boat. wasn't much longer than that altar, and waves 8, 12 feet high. And before we ever left the dock, the pastor and the other guy we was fishing with from the church they was green as that plant, brother. I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to be great. But you know why? I knew that in that boat there was an anchor. That if it got that bad, the guy would pitch it over the side and level things out. You know what? Sometimes you just need God. You need God to level things out for you. Anyhow, let, let's, let's talk about this pulpit for a little bit here. Pulpits in churches were not until the third century, and usually it was a table where the speaker would sit and read scripture or lecture. Later, they were a tall desk like what I'm standing behind, where the speaker stood behind to speak the word of God. Now listen, this is third century stuff. To disregard the word spoken from a pulpit, whether it was a table he sat at or one he stood behind, was a cause for excommunication. You think about that. In our text tonight, the word pulpit that's used here was used to talk about a raised platform. Literally, it meant a tower or a castle. It also, one of the meanings for a, a pulpit was a flower. Now, how does all of that fit together in an apostolic church? Well, let me help you understand it. When it's talking about a tower or a castle, it's talking about a safe place, a secure place. When it's talking about a flower, it's talking about something that's sensitive. My wife has, has orchids at our house, and those are some of the most weird flowers. They're pretty, they're beautiful, but they're so sensitive you can't move them an inch one way or the other. And it affects the way they look. They'll drop their flowers, drop their leaves, they'll stop growing, they'll go dormant. Listen, this pulpit is not just for a man to get up and take this Bible and beat somebody over the head with it. This is a place where you can come and feel safe. It's a stronghold of truth. 
It is a gentle place. It is a place from which uh, defense against an enemy takes place. This is a place where, where a sensitivity to the Spirit and a gentleness toward the people of God is wrought. Can I just say something else too while I think of it? You, you sometimes get caught in the trap of only listening to the preacher when he's behind the pulpit. But I will tell you this. This man will give you more when he's not behind the pulpit than when he stands up there. If you'll listen. If you'll hear him. Sometimes he does not stand up and say, I'm going to give you a word from God. But I guarantee you, Brother Riggin, if they'll listen, there's a word that comes out of that man's mouth more times than not. You see, long before someone stops hearing the voice of God, they stop hearing the voice of the man of God. They stop hearing the voice that comes across the pulpit. You see, this pulpit represents the foundation of all of who we are and what we do. It's the residing place of truth that lays rest to all arguments that oppose God and His truth. The voice of the pulpit must be louder than the voices of the world that scream for attention. This pulpit's voice must be louder than the voice that screams for validation and acceptance, that screams for significance. You think there's no voices pulling on you and your kids, your wife, your husband, your family, you're wrong. There's all kind of voices pulling for your attention. This pulpit represents the voice of wisdom and understanding and instruction. It represents the voice of peace that brings strength and progress and redoule to worried, hurting people. It is a safe harbor in the storms of life. I don't know how many times I've come to church and just been rocking and reeling in my poor old head and walk in there and start to sing and can't sing and can't get any grip on stuff. It just keeps sliding away from me like uh, sand through my fingers. But when the man of God stepped behind the pulpit and dropped anchor and said, Hey, let's, let's preach this thing. Let's preach this thing till you get an answer. There's just something about the word of God coming across the pulpit. It is a safe harbor. What is it to the sinner? To the sinner, it's a, a beacon of light at, no, at night on a storm-tossed sea. To the sinner, it's the sound of truth that answers the emptiness in his soul. Why don't people come here and why don't they stay? Good question. You know why they don't, why they don't stay here once they come? It's because they don't hear the voice coming across the pulpit. Their ears are deaf. What you need to pray is, God, open their ears that they can hear the voice that comes across this pulpit. It's the preaching that comes across this pulpit, the preaching of the Word that brings faith to the heart. It brings revelation and enlightenment and discernment to the mind and searching soul. It is from this pulpit that the voice of truth is heard that sets men free. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 8 and verse 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This word make means deliver or liberate. It is the word that comes across this pulpit that brings freedom to people. The preaching 
of this truth across the pulpit that stirs the heart to believe that God can do what He promised. I'm sure you've heard it, but, but doubt is someone that says, well, I believe that God can do it, just not for me. And unbelief is something that says, I don't believe God can do it for me or for anybody else. But oh, if you can hear, if you can hear what comes across the pulpit, God is able to take that little spark of faith and do something with it and resurrect it. And God can do what He promised He would do for you. I know that life is rough. Anybody out there agree with me that life can be rough? And life is filled full of danger. Just ask Andrew. A deer tried to do a hit on him the other night. Tried to run him off the road. <laughs> but we need to understand that, that even though life can be rough and, and life is full of danger, we've got a pulpit. We've got a pulpit that, that we ought to be thankful for. There ought to be something in us that we're thankful for the man of God that stands here on a regular basis and, and is passionate about what he's saying. You see, one day this pulpit's going to stand and testify against all of those who oppose the truth and all of those who came here but decided to leave and go somewhere else and go another direction. Every message that's preached from this pulpit will stand as an indictment against error and those who chose to believe a lie. You know, there's a story told of a man that preached a lie. There's a bunch of them. And he had a crowd falling. And there was a preacher of truth asked why that this preacher that preached a lie had so many people following and he preached the truth and he only had a few. And the preacher of the lie said, I tell a lie like it's the truth and you tell the truth like it's a lie. Can I just tell you, you've got to live this truth like you believe it's the truth? Oh, I, I want someone to preach to me that's fully persuaded that what they have and what they're preaching is the only saving message that there is. There is no other way to be saved. There's not another message coming. This is the only thing that's going to save you and I. So I tell the preacher at home, preach to me with conviction. Preach to me with anointing. Preach to me with authority. Preach to me with a burden. Preach to me with compassion. Preach to me with strength. Preach to me with liberty. Hey, I need to be saved. Oh, I, I, don't have, I don't have any shyness about telling you. I believe this one God, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost, oneness message from the top of my bald head, the sole of my big feet. But if you cut me, I want to be able to bleed Jesus everywhere. I want this word to be so much a part of me that that's all you see when you look in here. Romans chapter 10 said, For whosoever uh, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then how shall they call in, uh, on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I believe that God honors the pulpit and what the pulpit stands for. Mm. When your pastor 
starts walking through the book, I believe the author of the book will honor what he says. It said of Samuel that the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Man, that's quite a statement. You know what that tells me, Brother Regan? Whatever what you would say, that's what God will honor. If you call it sin for this people, it's sin. When he gave Adam authority in the garden to name the animals, whatever Adam called them, that's what God called them. Brother Nelson, when Adam got up on that morning and looked out yonder, out come the jungle, out come this big old long thing. Went, Adam said, you know what that looks like? That looks like an elephant. And you know what God said? Hey, Gabriel, that's an elephant. I believe God gave that same authority to the preacher. If you name it sin, brother, then it's sin. He said he let none of his words fall to the ground. You know, sometimes when I was evangelizing, I'd go and there'd be little plaques on pulpits. I'm sure you've seen them. One said, one pulpit said, preach as though it were your last. Another one said, preach as a dying man to dying men. Now, there's nothing like putting pressure on a preacher, is there? <laughs> but you've got to understand, to someone that's called of God, that stands here on a regular basis, this pulpit is more than just paint and wood. It's the voice of the Lord that speaks through him to you. And it comes across this pulpit. This pulpit somehow, some way represents the gate of the celestial city. It's the entrance point. It represents Jesus who's the door. Hey, if we're going to get from here to the glory world, it's going to be by preaching. This place is where eternity and time meet. It's where eternal choices are given and decisions are made. It's where the ways of life and death are set before those that come here. This pulpit is a fearful place because it's uh, from here is heard what may determine someone's destiny. So anytime you stand behind this pulpit, you want to give great consideration to what you say because what you say affects someone's destiny. If you hear the voice of the pulpit, you'll hear words of life. Oh, come on. You'll hear words of encouragement. You'll hear words of faith. You'll hear words of direction. You'll hear words of wisdom. You'll hear words of instruction. You'll hear words of warning. You can come here and find what you need to carry you through the hardest times you'll face. I want to say again, it is because when you see this pulpit and understand what it represents, you can rest here in a safe place. I don't know what you do, but sometimes I go to my home church when there's no one there, and I'll stop in and I'll walk in that sanctuary in the dark, and no, I'm not afraid of the dark. But some people, my God, they're afraid of the dark, Brother Riggin. And, and, and I'll go there and sit in the dark, and you know what? I'll just sit there. Well, what are you doing? I'm just enjoying a safe place. Why don't you stand tonight? I won't hold you any longer. But I want you to understand tonight, there's a voice, there's a voice calling. The voice of the Spirit and the bride say, come. And I wonder tonight in closing, if you'd gather around for a few minutes around this pulpit 
and commit yourself to hearing the word and obeying it. If you would make your mind up that this is really what you want. Now you see, some of you, some of you haven't even moved out of the pew yet. That tells me a lot about you. You know, Brother Regan, maybe I'm wrong, but all my pastor has to do is just suggest something. And I know that's the way it was with the elder. He'd just have to suggest, and you'd more than willing, more than willing, just, just couldn't hardly wait to do it. I tried to waylay your wife this morning when she was taking the trash out, and she wouldn't have no part of it. But, but really, that, that, that should never be. Oh, Jesus, help us. I went from preaching to meddling again. But I'm, I'm tell, all, all, all my pastor has to do is just suggest. Make your mind up. You're not just going to hear this word, but you're going to obey this word. This is what you want. You, 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 you've got to love this more than anything else in the world. Can't, you can't live for God with a divided heart. You've got to be completely sold out to what's going on here. This has to be your, your passion. This has to be everything you desire. I, wanna, I want my time, my life to be consumed with the things of God. King's business. King's business. That's, that's what's going to take precedent. But it starts right here. If you, can't, if you can't do what's preached here, you're not going to do much. How many times, how many times have I sat in my pastor's office, uh, Brother Regan, and, and heard young men exclaim how they wanted to do for God? And the only time they got stirred up was when they had the microphone. But I learned a long time ago, if you was ever going to be anything for God, you had to be passionate. Even when you're working behind the scenes. Oh, Jesus, help us. So right now, I'm going to, before I give this back to Brother Riggin, would you lift your hands tonight? And and I'm not I'm not asking you to make commitments you won't keep. Don't lie to God, and don't lie to yourself. Don't you tell God I'm going to do I'm going to do and, and you got no intentions of doing. But if you'll commit to God tonight, God will honor your commitment to this pulpit. Maybe maybe there's just one or two. It'll make, and that's okay. God, somehow, somehow, right now, God, that 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 one or two, God, would you honor their commitment in Jesus' name?